Hi, Kim. Hi, Laura. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. Sure. We're just waiting for everyone to pop on. So it's me, Tabitha, Jen, Jamie, and Rachel, who are the potty, uh, yeah, potty, table for five. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Thank you for taking a seat at the table. Tonight, we are talking to Laura Stuberud, and we are going to be chatting about kind of long-term planning, thinking about the future, what we can do, different options um, as far as guardianship versus other options out there, just general information about long-term planning um, for our kiddos and thinking about the future. So tonight I have Kim. Hello. Jen. Hi, everyone. Rachel. Hey, everybody. Jamie. Hello. And Laura. Thank you for being with us tonight. We're so excited to chat. Well, thank you for having me. Yes. And I just, uh, for our listeners, I met Laura through one of my closest law school friends, Ryan Quinn, who happens to be your law partner, which is great. And he yeah. kind of connected us to talk about your firm and what you guys do with, with estate planning. So that's great. If you want to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I've been practicing law for 30 years. Uh, the last 20 years has been exclusively in the areas of state planning, disability and elder planning, and working with special needs families, trying to navigate the legal system, how to prepare for financial matters, end-of-life matters, and guardianships, uh, minor caretakers, and whatever support I can give to families with special needs. And so I've done a lot of work with special needs trusts, both from the parent side setting them up and also for disabled people who need to set them up for themselves so that they continue with um, benefits, trying to connect people with organizations that could provide extra help for them and their families. Uh, Nevada is kind of a sparse state. We don't have a lot. So I have connections all over the country trying to connect people to get help where they need it. That's amazing. Great resource for us all, for sure. So kind of where I wanted to start is when you have a family or an individual come into your office and they're like, where do we start? What what should we be thinking about first? For a lot of us, we have kids who are under 18. Kim's daughter is actually over 18. So she went through the guardianship process and social security and those kind of things. But a lot of us have younger kiddos. What would you recommend? Where do we start? Well, a lot of it depends upon, you know, when you have, let me go back, when you have small children, minor children, and they're on the spectrum, sometimes you don't know, right, where that's going to lead them yeah. as they grow through, right? Some will get to the point where they'll be able to support themselves. Others will not, and they'll need help their whole life. So we do at different stages through a child's life with their family. So when you come in and your children are really young, it's really no different than any other kind of estate planning. So what you're really doing is setting up who's gonna take care of your children, how are we gonna pay for their care, and what does that structure look like? And we do that in a way that you can change, like any other parent, it's gonna change when you figure out who your kids are, what they're capable of. You know, yeah. Everybody's got a challenge when they're really little. If we think they're gonna need public benefits, like Medicaid benefits that come in through um, Nevada is called the Katie Beckett program. I think that's what it's called in most states. So if you need special autism services that you have to qualify your child for, we want to make sure that we structure the parents 
assets and the child's assets so that they can qualify for those things. And then as they get older and we get closer to graduation from high school, then or or that age 18, 19, where they age out of all the services that most states have, that's when we start really looking at the need for guardianship or alternatives to that. And then how do we plan financially forward then? Okay. Then you're going to know, right? By the time they reach that age, you're kind of going to know where they're going to fit. Yeah. And we have a lot of, um, we did an adult series, basically talking to other parents who've been through the process in different states and what that looked like a little bit. And it, it really is state dependent, I think, on some of those services for sure. Once our kids hit 18 and a lot of it has wait lists, you know, like in my, mm -hmm. I'm in Montana now, Arizona is great for services, but we moved to Montana and, and the, the waiver that my kids would want to be on, it has, a, I've been told an eight year long waiting list wow. uh, for adult services. So uh, some of that, you know, future planning is a little bit hard to determine, like you're saying, you know, early on, but for recommendations for like at the beginning to set, if something were to happen to us in an emergency situation, the best documents are a will and possibly some kind of special needs trust. Can you talk about that special needs trust process a little bit? Sure. So normally with families, when they have children, we'll do, at least in Nevada, we'll do just a regular family trust. And the special needs component comes into play when the parents are both deceased. Okay. So, because a lot of you have multiple children, not yeah. all of them special needs. So you have to provide for all those children. So, right, you're probably gonna need a guardian, you gotta, how are you financially going to, to do that? So we sit and we talk first about, you know, how many children you have, what do we think the needs are going to be? You can build in flexibility for special needs trust. Maybe you just, if they need it, they can create it. But otherwise, it's really just a big pot of money when you have minor children. Okay. The trustee is going to sit there and take care of these children, regardless of what their status is. And then at a certain point, it's going to divide out, right? So a lot of times it's when the youngest child reaches 18, then we'll split what's left over. And the one, the portion that's going to go to this, the, the um, special needs child goes into a special needs trust. Okay. Simple so, as that. Okay. How does it, how does it work as far as like their Medicaid and stuff like that? Because you can't have so many assets, so much money, then you will just qualify for certain services. Right. So under federal law, you cannot have more than $2,000 of assets. And we're discount. We're not going to talk about California because they're its own animal. They do their Entity. own thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <their laughs> own thing. Um, and you can't have more than, was it this year? $912 of income, something like that this year. But there's a carve out for special needs trust. So if an individual who's receiving those benefits or need those benefits is a beneficiary of a special needs trust, they still qualify. It's an okay. exempt asset. And that's whether they're a minor child or they're an adult. That that's is why you would have a special needs trust rather than something like a 401k or another account that would correct be paid out to them. Right, because those are assets and income. Mm -hmm. But for minor right. children, it's not a it's not really a big deal because as long as it's in in an, in a trust with discretionary distributions, mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter if we call it a special needs trust or not. 
Okay. So that that's really the trustee, the person in charge of the money would be the one de deciding where the money would go. So the child themselves wouldn't have any access to funds. Uh, Correct. And it's always, we make it discretionary and we put parameters in there. So if we're thinking it's special needs, there's language in there on what they should and shouldn't use the money for. You can put guardianship provisions in there. You can put care manager or care advisors within that so that the trustee will then work with a care advisor, someone who really understands the needs of that beneficiary and decide how to spend the money appropriately. There's a lot of different ways you can structure that. Okay. Um, Are you familiar with something called an ABLE account? I've heard of that too, yeah. but I'm not sure the difference. So an ABLE account is if you have a 529 plan for your child, for other children, which is for college, an ABLE account works the same way. So okay. the law allows a disabled person to have an ABLE account to which they have access. So it, you wouldn't use it for a disabled person who is not extremely high functioning because they have access to it. So it would allow somebody, just say somebody is a paraplegic, you know, they're automatically on disability because they're a paraplegic and they may inherit money and it goes into a special needs trust because they need to maintain their Medicaid. So that means they have to ask a trustee to do something for them. The mm -hmm. benefit of the ABLE account is you can put money into this account for them and they can have an ATM card and then they can go and get money or you know a debit card and they can spend that money for what we call qualified disability expenses, which is pretty much everything other than shelter and groceries, right? Okay, so needed for their care, basically like self-care or anything like that. Going to the movies, education, okay. anything okay. like that. But it gives them a lot more freedom because it's money they can access. Okay. And these accounts um, need to be set up by, they have to have been determined to be um, disabled before the age of 45, which is new okay. this year, it used to be 26. Uh, they are set up through your state treasurer. Okay. So you can't just walk into a bank and say, I want an ABLE account. They're very special. You can only put $17,000 a year in, and then each state has a maximum amount it can hold. In Nevada, it can only hold $100,000. Okay, for lifetime, lifetime uh, at a, contribution. At a time. At a okay. time. Oh, at a in, time. Okay. In versus a special needs trust, what's the difference? So the they don't have needs? access. Right. Well, I know they don't have access. I mean about like how much you can put in and like oh, does that unlimited. 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 Yeah. And as long as, and there's different kinds of special needs trusts. So when we talk about like, Tabitha was asking me about what to do in their minors and we're creating the family plan and it's the parents money. That's one kind of special needs trust. We call a third party special needs trust. And you can set those up independently as well. So if you have a special needs child and the grandparents are saying, oh, I wanna make sure they get money. You can create just a special needs trust and that trust could be the beneficiary of the grandparents estate plan. Oh, okay. That's right. So that's the third party. The other kind of special needs trust is called a first party trust. That's when it's a trust that's funded with the disabled person's own money. So I do a lot of those for personal injury attorneys because their sure. clients are disabled and, may, and recover money for an accident or for inheritance. We do those actually in probate quite a bit. 
where the beneficiary can't have the money. Those trusts work the same way, but they have a Medicaid payback at the end of life. So if there's any money left in that, that first party trust at the beneficiary's death, Medicaid gets paid back first. Okay. And then other people can inherit and, what's left over. And I just want to go back for our listeners. So the, the difference, if someone dies without a will, then that person's money goes into a probate distribution which in turn, they have to kind of distribute the pot. And that's what you're talking about for this first party right. like yeah. from the beneficiaries, the people who would inherit the money. If, right. if there isn't a will, then someone decides where that money is going to go. And then you would put that in a first party special needs trust. And mm-hmm. then 529s, just to explain that, 529 accounts are usually what people set up for a college fund for kids, which we did with our son almost immediately when he was born and then we real we stopped putting money into it because he at the time Arizona had a cap for his own accounts the 529 counted for his own individual money so he can have more than two thousand dollars to receive benefits from the state of Arizona so we quit dumping money into the 529 at that point once we realized there was a cap on his so if you do put money into a 529 even at birth and then you realize later your child's disabled that money can still count against their own individual pot of money i guess for qualifying services right but i believe and that's that's a good question for me to follow up on with myself i think you can transfer from a 529 into an able I think you're right. Yeah, I think you can change it if you go through the process through the trustee. I don't know what that looks like because we didn't have enough money. At the, he was, he got diagnosed fairly early in life, so we didn't have as much money in that someone might have later. So we haven't done anything with it. Really, <laughs> it's just sitting there. Uh, but I, we didn't realize that at the time as we were, you know, contributing to his five twenty nine. So when you say Medicaid gets paid back, like what do, do you mean they get paid back for their social security or their insurance? What a- so Medicaid is basically medical insurance and provides services, right? right? Yeah. So and it's a program for the indigent, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if there is a spe- if there's a first party special needs trust, and Medicaid has a lien against a recipient's assets. Like if so, they were like in some kind of home or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And Medicaid is paying for all of that. And mm-hmm. there's money left over when they die. Then Medicaid gets repaid. What if it's a third party trust? No, there's no Medicaid payback. That's why we like to set those up properly so that they always maintain benefits. There's no Medicaid payback. And if you're the parent setting that up, then you get to decide who gets the money, you know, that's left over. Yeah, so where it goes next. For nice estate plan. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk about, so you're talking about kind of early years, what, what you do in that bracket. And then when you hit this 18 mark, there's a difference between an adult guardianship and then supportive decision making. What does that look like? What are those two differences that people would have choices for? So a guardianship involves an application to a court for a guardian to be appointed for your child. And that involves ongoing reporting to the court until that guardianship ends. So it looks a little different in every state. Some places call it conservatorship, yeah. right? And that usually has to do with money. And guardianship mm-hmm. is the person. I call it guardianship because in Nevada, they're one and the same. You're guardian of a person and guardian of the estate. Okay. If you become the guardian, then you have ongoing reporting requirements every year to the court regarding the status of your child's condition 
and living arrangements, how they're doing physically. And then if there's money to manage, then you have to report through an accounting how you're spending their money. Sometimes those are necessary depending upon the severity of the disability, right? How much can your child do for themselves? Mm -hmm. If they are even moderately impaired, uh, as opposed to severely impaired, but certainly if it's a minor impairment, we can do something called a supported decision-making agreement. This is an agreement where we sit down and we talk to your child and it's pretty simple. I'm every, I don't want to say every state recognizes these, but we do in Nevada by statute. I know Texas does. And it's a conversation really talking to your child and saying, you know, if you're in the hospital, do you want your mom to know, right? When you go to the doctor, do you want your mom to be with you? Mm. And they, and so it's pretty simply written in language that just about anybody can understand. And they set forth, yes, I want this person to help me with my money. Yes, I want this person to help me at the doctor. I want this person to go shopping with me. And they're putting out in their own words, so to speak, what they want. So it's giving them, it empowers them. It gives them a certain independence. And they're saying, you know, mom and dad or brother and sister, you're here to help me. And so you as a parent walk in with your child with this document or on behalf of your document. And people say, okay, they chose you to do that. Your state has to have adopted that for it to kind of be accepted. Okay. And is it executed kind of like a power of attorney? So it's like a notarized statement, basically, that you or document that you would formulate with all the terms, like, this is what this person wants. Okay. So kind of less formal, I guess. Still formal, but less. It is. It is. And and when I do support a decision making agreements, I always do a healthcare directive as well. Okay. Because they don't have to make decisions about what, about care, right? I mean, I get a lot of 18 year olds who come in because they're going to college and they do these healthcare directives. And I say, don't even look at those decisions. You're too young to make them anyway. (laughs) It's a document that allows your parents to get the information. So so to me, I, I think that's an important extra document. And again, it's just a matter of saying to your child, you want your mom to know if you're hurt, right? You want your mom to make, help you out if you're sick, right? And most, unless you're pretty severe, that I can get through that, yeah, they want that, you know, yeah. not independent. But if you have a child who's not really able to verbalize that or understand anything, then guardianship becomes a necessity. Mm-hmm. Because once they turn 18 under the HIPAA laws, their doctors don't have to share anything with you. Yeah. Now, I haven't really come across that because you've been going with your kids to the doctors their whole life. And so nine times out of 10, the providers are, they're not going to care. But if you happen to be in a car accident and you're in a hospital that you're unfamiliar with or they don't know you, then you need that guardianship so that you can speak for your child. Yeah. And when do you recommend um, for us to start working on that process of guardianship? I know certain states, you have to be within a certain time frame to file for the guardianship. Right. In per, Nevada, per you cannot, right. In Nevada, you can't, you no longer can file until their 19th or 18th birthday. Okay. You used to be able to do it in advance of that. 
So yeah. you have to check with an attorney in your state, uh, but you want to start preparing and thinking about it at least six months before you're going to do it. Okay. Uh, because you're going to want to, you know, figure out who's going to do what, what do we really need? Because you want to keep guardianship should be minimized as much as possible. It's usually, it's quite onerous to have to go to report to the court all the time. Yeah. Um, you may only need a guardian of the person. You don't, maybe there's no money coming in. Yeah. Uh, and you want to apply for disability with social security as soon as you can after the age of 18. Okay. Uh, uh, you want them deemed disabled quickly. Uh, it sets up lifetime benefits when you do it early. If you wait too long past the age of 26, it becomes much more difficult to get that disability determination. Okay. Some states will do the disability determination early. Is that right? Like we have in Minnesota where I live, um, Seeley's been deemed disabled. And I think that that's one of the very few things in Minnesota that's not renewed every year. Does that sound right? right. Is he a minor? Uh, yeah, is she, she is. Yep. So state Medicaid, law, state Medicaid organizations, depending upon the state, can make their own disability determination. So for example, it used to be for Katie Beckett, you just apply to the state. Now I've heard you have to go to SSI first, which okay. that's a new thing. You know, the state, I think guess the state of Nevada is saying, yeah, we don't want to be bothered making a determination. So go to, go to social security. You know, we love a new take, thing. That can take <laughs> over a year. Yeah. Right. That determination. So that's the state of Nevada, Nevada deciding, yeah, we don't, we don't want to put the resources there. Other states like Minnesota, so Nevada used to do it, Minnesota obviously did it, but when you're talking about ongoing benefits as adults through the social security system, you want to get them deemed disabled by social security as young as possible. You know, if it can't, I'm not sure, to be honest, if they're deemed disabled by social security as a minor, I'm sure, but I'm not sure they probably do a redetermination as an adult. Yeah. Can this is so overwhelming. Sure, not is, sure is exactly they, where they, we live. I'm they definitely sure. do that in Massachusetts, and I know other states as well. I don't know mm -hmm. every state, obviously, but yeah. Even though they've been disabled their whole entire life, once they're 18, but in Massachusetts, usually once you're deemed disabled at 18, prior to that, you have to do it every three years. Yeah, that's Arizona then, too. Once you're 18, well, we've actually, we actually had to do it one other time. You're not supposed to have to keep doing it, but for some reason we had to do it. She's so I don't know. One other time. Yeah. She was. Well, well so, so, so SSI is a federal law. So mm -hmm. that's just, you know, that every time, even for guardianship, you move from minor to adult, you got to switch courts. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. There's no continuation. So they're yeah. just going to make that redetermination, but you want to get it when they're an adult because that sets them up later in life for getting some of your social security benefits mm -hmm. so, were you, so what were you saying jen that this is overwhelming <laughs> well this is a lot which i think would would be why uh, someone like laura would be beneficial because I, my head's i mean i wouldn't even know where to begin i'm in canada laura so none oh. of this is really applicable to me however i do have a disability account which then i found out she can't access till she's 65 so i sunk all this money into something that's oh not useful. So it's kind of like that. It's like, I need somebody to guide me and say, put your money here for her because like, it was actually my accountant that said, why would you put money in this? And I said, well, I don't know. I didn't know where else to put it anyway. So my point was, it's very overwhelming. So having someone like you with your expertise, knowing 
where you kind of start and go is just, I'm going to, I call my lawyer tomorrow is what I'm trying to get out of here. <laughs> call my attorney tomorrow. Well, and I always think yeah. like in the practice, like a practical sense, it, you know, being a lawyer, my brain goes all the places that lawyers brains go but when I think about this as a human person not an attorney <laughs> who has the background that we do I think of it kind of like a the you remember that old school pyramid food table it's yeah. like the bread's on the bottom the fruit's in the middle and you start out with the very top small piece like where do I start with if you want to drop money into an account sounds like if you think your child could be uh, helping themselves in the future and using an account, you might want to look at ABLE, or if you want to set up something that if something were to happen to you, you can look at these trust accounts and, and that would be like the tiny pyramid on the top. And then you filter that down to as age, age well, brackets also, for the food sorry. pyramid. I also think, I mean, it's emotional. It's, yeah, it it's is hard very to sit down yeah. and think about that. Um, and actually my sister-in-law, we were casually in the kitchen one day and she said, you know, you have to do your will. I said, well, yeah. I hope you know that you are the next up at bat, shall something happen? <laughs> so it's, but it's that emotion of, I don't want to sit down and do it. I, I can't quite yeah. sit down well, and, and I, do it. I think a lot of people too, I've heard this a lot about wills specifically. They say, well, my family knows what to do, no, but it, well, and it's, it's not really you don't know how people are going to do in grief or in when money is involved, or, I mean, you would love your family to be spectacular, but as lawyers, we're always like, okay, worst case scenario. What if uh, that doesn't work out for you and you need your kids to be taken care of by the person that you want to choose your kids to be taken care of instead of it being determined by someone else, you know? So the legal and documents, the laws are very complicated. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's so part of the discussion is who's the right person right do this job and it's not always the person who has physical custody mm -hmm. right you know they're maybe they're not the right person and and how do we fit your other children into the plan yeah right? because you know i have i have one family where there's they're all adults now the youngest one is he has cerebral palsy and you know the daughters are all like oh yeah we'll take care of him no problem but now they've got their own families so you have to consider the burden, you know, yeah, they all want it. They're going to fight over them, but what's the best way to make it easier on them to take care of him without overburdening one or the other. So those are all discussions that we have all the time. And we're constantly revisiting those things because it may change. And maybe you need a more professional person handling the money. Someone who knows yeah. the rules, right? Yeah. How you spend it, there's rules. Uh, so those are really important. So I, I never always encourage people to find a good attorney who deals with disability planning for mm -hmm. persons needs. Uh, just even even if you don't do anything, at least you get this well this dearth of information you can't understand and it's overwhelming. But thinking, <laughs> now I've got something to think about. Yeah, and you can come back and deal with it later. But it makes yeah. sense because I don't have a, a typical accountant. He just does disability disability. Oh. Like, so he, he, you know, the kind of can in between, he found the thing on the, that's why he brought it up to me. So I, I think that's right. Getting that person that really knows that stuff. Yeah. And it's, it is complicated. I mean, there's so many layers to it. The documents themselves. I mean, like, I can't even imagine trying to do that yourself with all the different places. Social security, you know, estate planning, 
what accounts to, and for us, like me specifically, I have two children who have autism diagnosis. And so then you have to look at, you know, what level of care each one of them are going to need. Could one live independently, maybe not the other, you know, all of those uh, layered things that come along with that. If you were to have a social needs trust and like you leave it to somebody, if you die, it goes to you, can you leave it to one more than one person or can it only be one person in charge of it? Oh, as a trustee? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. People do co-trustees. Sure. Just depends upon, you know, how far apart they live from one another, how they get along, who's in their ear, you know, with all the state planning, when I hear, oh, my kids, they all get along, everything's wonderful. I say, yeah, well, how about their significant others? How's that? No. <laughs> oh my God, Lori, you're like, what about that sister-in-law? That's right. Then they usually stop and they think about it and go, oh, I see what you mean. Oh. Well, thanks, Lynn. I don't have to worry about the money part. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because like, we have four children so the plan loosely is most likely my youngest will be the one to take care of her but the three of them will be conductively helping one person will just physically have her but we don't know what I mean my daughter's 18 so it's like we don't know what she's going to look like in five years and 10 years or any of them so it's like we really can't make that decision until I feel like it's it's closer my daughter is eight and as this story has unfolded we've changed goals like three people and I mean goals like the takeover plan (laughs) the baton I mean we have nothing now until we get like until my husband retires there's nothing to we don't have anything to (laughs) They won't, there'll be nothing to fight over. That's what people always think. You live in that house, Kim McIsaac. That's a, we'll go right straight to probate. Just giving you a heads up on that. (laughs) Property, anything in your possession. One Uh, of the things that has been so stressful to me, again, my daughter's eight, but in, in thinking about, I don't, my mom died two years ago. And so like things got real, real fast in that process, you know, like just the paperwork of it and all these things. So then in being a special needs parent on top of it, and Celie's my only child, so there's no like sibling net. (laughs) There's four more people that care for her. There is not. And so we, one of the things that keeps me from calling or connecting is this letter, this letter of intent that kind of deals with my daughter's ABCs of her day, who to connect with. And Frankly, part of that struggle is because we've not stabilized in order to like write that letter. On the other hand, we've never stabilized. So we need that freaking letter. So I wonder if there's, if, if you know, Laura, what I'm talking about, or if I've just made up this whole stitch in my... Are you talking about the letter of intent? Yeah, yeah. letter of intent. Have you, do you deal with this in your estate plans, Laura, ever? My heart's with about it? to palpitate. I need a nitro. Uh, I mean, I don't draft them obviously yeah, yeah. that that comes from the parents and and it's always encouraged and we have samples of things that they should put in there and, and it, it's like anybody with minor children you know how do you want your children raised what's important to you mm-hmm. right and yeah what are the day-to-day challenges and and that's just something that you'll have to just modify annually right yeah until there's a stabilization this is what's happening you know who it, I think it's really important when you talk about needing you don't have anybody it's really important to keep your medical providers in the loop mm-hmm. and have people know who those medical providers are and even to the point of saying to the medical provider because I get this all the time well how do I get 
a power of attorney over my child, you know, for healthcare for somebody else, because you can't really give it as a parent. You know, there's no document out there that says, I, Tabitha, want so-and-so to have my child's healthcare proxy. Okay, that, mm -hmm. that document doesn't exist. That's an expression of desire that may or may not work. But if you have somebody that occasionally goes with you to the doctor or to the provider, with you and your child, then that becomes a known person and it, you're giving permission mm. for discussion, right? So yeah. Take a friend, take whatever, and then they become part of your inner circle. It becomes much easier for you. And in case you get sick, you know, you need someone to take your child, just simple things like that we don't think about yeah. is, is involving other people can on the day-to-day. And I think we get used it to that. It sounds like you just gave all of us each other's kids, Laura. I just <laughs> want to let you know. Yeah. <laughs> you well, drafted documents. Well, if you were in the fun. same town, I certainly did. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, no. Via Zoom and a pandemic, we've all been to each other's doctor's appointments yeah. and IE oh. meetings. Yeah, for sure. So just a link away. Well, and I was going to say, you know, we get used to hand handling things, even sometimes with our spouse or partner, whoever is involved with our kids' lives. Like generally I find that one person manages the stuff or sometimes they divide one person deals with the school, one person deals with the medical stuff, but usually one person knows, oh, the pediatrician's this, we go to OT with this provider, speech is with this person at two o'clock on Wednesday. And the other person Says every mom ever of every child. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. like, I, I, yeah. I like to tell you that's unique to you, to parents with special needs. No. It's, not, it's no. every mother of every child. They yes. do it all. Yeah. And you're right. You're, if you're lucky if you can get your husband involved, right? <laughs> yeah, some people well, actually, I've heard, know, get, I one heard. Yeah. get one of those first. Get one of those first. Then I've heard some people divide the work, but I mean, which I is great. Yeah. Not sure what that is. Yeah. Yeah. You don't yeah. even think about like, what the heck would happen? I mean, not all of that stuff is in one place or the, now everything's online. What are the password apps to even get the medical records? If you needed to get the medical records, you know, where does that document go? Cause that stuff's locked in the technology for sure. Well, I, I can't access my own stuff half the time. I was like, I'm like, I just put that password in. What do you mean I can't use a previous password? That's, you called, a, that's called a virtual asset diary. Yeah. That's included in my estate planning notebooks. I always include a virtual asset diary because people still write things down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's what it's for. So that's what or the keychain. That, yeah, the keychain, yeah. yes. Uh, get a password app, people. Then put the secret password to the password app in one place where people can find it. Then they'll get access. Anything else that you could um, recommend to us, like just to seek or look if we're trying to start off um, and feel overwhelmed, do you have any good um, resources where we can go or any other recommendations for us? So there's some great sites that you probably all, you probably know way more than I do. Um, but I'm really, you know, I really like, there's a group called the Academy of Special Needs Planners, and it's called specialneedsanswers.com. Okay. Um, really great if you want to learn more about uh, SSI and Medicaid Special Needs Trust. There's the Special Needs Alliance, which is another great organization of special needs attorneys. And then okay. there's, there's a, if you're on LinkedIn, 
you can join those groups. They're always posting. You know, you don't have to be in business to be on LinkedIn. I'm laughing, Laura, because when you said LinkedIn, I'm like, well, I need the password. Actually, I can't get on my LinkedIn. password. <laughs> no, so it's the uh, Special Needs Alliance and the Academy of Special Needs Planners. It's Special Needs Answers, I think. Special needs answers. I'll look up and see if I can yeah. put the links in our podcast description no, for people to. But those are those are two of the best for information on all these kinds of trusts, social security, all of that. Perfect. Now, earlier you said if you were to open an able account, you couldn't. You would have to go through the treasurer of the state. What about a special needs trust? How would you go about opening something like that if you were going to do that? So the special needs trust, I mean, the special needs trust is, think of it as your own, I mean, a trust is like a box. So when we do estate planning, you're creating a box and you put assets in that box. Literally, we transfer title to our house, we transfer bank accounts, and then there's a set of instructions. And you do that yourself. You open your own trust accounts at your own bank because you're in charge. As long as you're living and able, you are in charge of it all. So doesn't get involved with the government at all. So you just do it yourself, basically, and usually paired with your estate plan, hopefully, in some sense. yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I didn't mention were pooled trusts for special needs. So if um, you don't have somebody who can manage a trust for you, and you want uh, like a financial company or something like that, or your child comes into some money and there's, it's just not enough to do a special needs trust, but it's too much to spend. We have these things called pooled trusts, which are organizations, nonprofit organizations that pool the money together and then distribute it out according to the law to your, to your beneficiary. So those can be useful too. Um, I know Arizona has one. Mm-hmm. Uh, most states other than Nevada have them. No. <laughs> we have That's, oh, Montana's with you. I doubt we have one either over here. Yeah, but that's uh, your other option. I love Montana, but come on people. So, <laughs> so for your uh, firm and Ryan, you and Ryan's firm, do you do planning for all over the country, just for Nevada? Who are your clientele? Um, it's really just for Nevada because lawyers are licensed in the state, mm-hmm. which they practice. Sometimes they have multiple licenses. Uh, but uh, the one nice thing about special needs is I can talk in general terms to anybody in the country about Social Security, but each state is a little bit different. You take a mm-hmm. state like Nevada that's a poor state, we don't do as much. You go to California. California is throwing out the asset limit for special needs trusts. Okay. You can, as of 2032, you can have a million dollars and get Medicaid. Wow. You, need a special needs, you know, which totally yeah. defies federal law. They just are just sticking their finger in the eye of the federal government. They <laughs> just do care. what they want. Yeah. We're doing that. So, <laughs> so I tell people when they want to move from California, don't. You're going to play like that. Massachusetts yeah. is easier. New York, New Jersey, Florida, they're all better than uh, most of us, you know, Cal states. Yeah. States, right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm certainly happy to help with anybody to give general information, but I wouldn't do, you know, if I have a client that really wants me to do something and they live in Arizona and that's where the benefits are, I associate with Arizona Council. Sure. Do what I do. To make sure it's appropriate. 
Perfect. Perfect. So we'll link your website. And I'm so, so glad you came and talked grateful. with us. This is yes, and grateful. You. Yeah, so yeah. helpful for us. If you're in Nevada, reach out to uh, their firm. I Again, I'll link it in the description so people can find your guys' website. Laura, I, I want to just thank you. I think personally, you've settled this crazy anxiety escosh. I feel like this is a more human process than terrifying. I just want to thank you. I didn't know when I adopted my daughter that I would be jumping into the special needs world. You made decisions to build your career in this lane. And I think that that is such a service to such a beautiful community. Yes. And oh my God, I'm a little clipped. I just want to thank you. I think it's glorious, your service and, and just your heart and your work. Thank you. My pleasure. And I encourage you on that um, Academy of Special Needs Planner site, lawyers all over the country are listed on there. Perfect. Don't be afraid to reach out and just set up a meeting and go through your story and make a plan. If today you don't need it, you're going, everybody needs it at some point, some sort mm -hmm. of a plan, mm -hmm. right? Regardless of what our children are like or what we're like. So don't be afraid. These people who do this, they all have their heart in the right place. And I'm one of the rare ones where I don't have a special needs child, but most of these attorneys who do this work do. Mm. So they know what you're going through. So please reach out to them. Ugh, that gave me a chill, especially yeah, for this practice of law. Um, you know, we always are seeking people who understand where we're coming from and it makes all the difference in the world for us, for sure. Or even just someone willing to listen to our worries and concerns and Number one, big worry for all of us is what happens if something happens to us. We always joke we have to live forever as yes. parents to kids with special needs. So we thank you so much, Laura. It's been great My to meet pleasure. you. Yeah. Sorry if I made you feel like you were on the witness stand. Thank you again. Laura. Much appreciated. Yeah. My thanks. So Take care. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode. Check out the description to find where you can sign up for our newsletter, how to become a supporter, and find links to us individually. Join us next Monday for more. And while you wait, check out our content on Facebook and Instagram. If you are enjoying the podcast, please make sure to subscribe and rate and review us wherever you listen. To contact us, you can email us at tableforfivepodcasts at gmail.com. We can't wait to sit with you again.